Hey podcast, welcome back. My name is Jasmine Wonders. I am one of your co-hosts along with RJ Rome. Before we jump straight into the episode, I want to take a second to say thank you for being here. And if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe, leave us a comment on social with your thoughts. And now to the episode.
couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, and I, you know, I feel for all those people that are school teachers out there, work in more, um, you know, mainstream jobs. I've finally kind of allowed people that I work with into the loop, and I finally um, told my sister recently what I was doing, and that was um, quite interesting. What, what was her reaction? Uh, she doesn't get it at all. And especially yeah. now that she knows I'm writing steamy stuff, it was kind of like, please don't read anything, <laughs> anything that I've written. <laughs> and whatever you do, don't tell mom. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> is she, I, I is she the same thing. Uh, Go ahead, Chaz. Is she supportive at least? Um, again, I think she just doesn't quite understand it and she sees me spending money on covers and things like Mm. that and not making really any type of profit yet Mm. so to her it's kind of I guess maybe a little bit of a waste of time um but you know there's always that bias out there people believe that you have to be a mainstream author a lot of people don't understand the indie world right and the indie world is becoming such a bigger part of the publishing world that people just don't realize that I think unless you're in it absolutely so you know at the end of the day my sister is I'm the youngest of six kids the sister that I told is the oldest of the food chain so you know there's a good 11 years between us so she's always kind of the one that's a little bit of the skeptic on everything Mm. But, um, you know, when the reviews start to come in and the numbers start to climb, which I hope will happen, then, you know, I think uh, it, it it will convince her more that there is value in what it is that I'm doing. But that's okay. I value it myself. I don't need them to value it for me. <laughs> exactly. So I write under a pen name as well. And it kind of feels like living a, a double life sometimes because not everyone knows in my life as well. Do you feel like that you're living a double life? Well, you know, the funny thing to me is that I spend so much more time now online with people who've become friends from the industry who know me as Mercy that, yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm having a real identity crisis (laughs) because I, in many ways, actually identify more now as Mercy than I do and to my real name if it's not people at work you know my regular mainstream friends also don't really understand what I'm doing and aren't really into steamier reads etc so you know this my support group is my group online and they all know me as Mercy so yeah sometimes I'm like okay Mercy's a much cooler person than I am (laughs) So I just kind of cultivate that, and I go with it, and I spend so much on time uh, time online marketing as Mercy, Instagram as Mercy, Twitter as Mercy, Facebook as Mercy. It is really like, uh, you know what, I should do uh, a numerology report using Mercy D. Simone as my name and see if it's as strong as my real name. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> do you find it difficult to tell people about it, or is there like fears or... It's not fears so much of um, judgment of the fact that I expect people to judge my writing. It's more the steamy content. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't appreciate or understand reverse harem romance. 
mm-hmm. and um, particularly of the steamier variety. Now, that being said, it's really just sex <laughs> <laughs> um, with multiple people. Uh, yeah. But And I sit there and say, you know, people who don't, who judge reverse harem are the same people that go out there and watch The Bachelor. <laughs> and they watch this one girl go out and date 20 guys and go on a date with six guys and who knows how many she's kissing or whatever in a night but they think that reverse harem is funny so I just don't quite understand that you know I don't write dark romance I don't do non-consent I don't do dubious consent Um, I may read it, but that's not my comfort level, especially as far as writing it. So, no, I'm not really concerned about being judged um, for content that way. It's Mm -hmm. just that, again, some of what I write is pretty fast burn. (laughs) Right. So you do um, a feature on your social media, Car Talk Tuesday. I love watching them. Tell us how you came up with the idea. Oh, thank you so much. You know, that was another one where it just kind of came out of the blue. I don't even know what sparked me to do that one day, except that I was trying to figure out Instagram, and I was trying to figure out a way to break through or do something a little bit different. (laughs) So one day, I just, um, I was driving, and, you know, we won't talk about the fact that I'm Snapchatting as I drive, Um, but you know, once you click the button, it runs. It's not like you have to hold it. It's just tape. So I just decided, okay, let's, let's try this and see what happens. And you know, it got a few hits. I think when I first started doing that, I only had maybe 300, 400 followers on Instagram and now I'm up to 1300, I think. So it's grown exponentially. I actually, in April, had my year anniversary of Car Talk. So that was basically 52 weeks, 52 videos. And I've been faithful to it. So for me, it was almost an exercise in discipline Mm. and being committed to doing something every single week um, and having a reason to post every single week. And certainly, I think that the content has gotten stronger for the most part. You know, some are better than others. But, um, yeah, once I started doing it and then people started saying, hey, this is fun. I really like this. So I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll try it again. And the few times that I've said, well, you know what, maybe I'll just um, be done with this now. People have been like, like, no, no, no. You have to keep doing car talks. Mm -hmm. So I just keep doing them and trying to find ways to make them more fun. Um, but yeah, that was really it. You know, I, I wasn't big on, I don't like doing selfies of myself. A lot of people were posting photos. I didn't have a lot of book content Mm -hmm. to post at that time. So that was just kind of my little personal diary on the way to work every week. I love it. (laughs) I myself don't like video. I don't like pictures, but (laughs) I I have to get over that. Well, you know, I don't. Do it without filters. That's for Yeah, sure. there you go. You, know, <laughs> need, you need everything smoothed out. And I'm very, very honest with people. Every time somebody says, oh, you know, you look so pretty. I'm like, filters, 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 filters. <laughs> All filters. 
But that's what we do, right? We're writers. We write stories. We're, we're trying to create different ways of presenting things. There is a fantasy element involved. So that being said, I'm going to use that for my persona as well. Does, does social media ever feel like almost like a chore to you? Because for some people, it's, you know, like a second or a third job almost. Social media is always a chore for me. <laughs> um, you know, you, you do have to spend a lot of time out there. It took a lot of time to cultivate that many followers on Instagram. A couple months ago, I started paying attention to Twitter and I think I have almost as many followers now on Twitter as I do on Instagram. My Facebook group, you know, I have a private Facebook readers group, and I'm finally over 500 people there. So, yeah, you have to be active everywhere. And that's the same thing with takeovers and all of those other things that come with promoting and marketing. So it's not, you know, it is social media, but it's also as a writer – especially an indie writer, one of the big things you have to do is tap all of your resources for promotion, especially if you don't have a lot of money to advertise. Mm -hmm. You know, AMS ads and Facebook ads are great if you have the money to throw at them. But um, social media is free. And if you do it effectively, you know, potentially you can harness the power of that to help push sales and recognition of your brand because that's really what you need to do is establish yourself as a brand in order to sell your books mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people don't realize that if you ask them as a writer um, what are you about I think a lot of people haven't really thought about an answer to that they don't really know what it is that they do and that's one of the things as a writer that I think you have to figure out fairly early on. It doesn't mean it can't morph and change, but you have to go out of the gate knowing what you're about. Makes sense. So for you, you write steamy stuff. What is the I, hardest scene for you to write? I mean, are the steamy scenes hard to write for you or is it the in-between? No, the steamy scenes aren't hard to write. And, you know, I went out of the gate writing steam this book that I have coming out now that I'm in editing on, which is Corsets and Quartets, I would call this one more medium steam so or medium burn. So this is where you have to be careful and you can fall into the trap because if you go out of the gate doing uh, five alarm sexy scenes, then your readers are going to start expecting that. Now, my sci-fi fantasy was more of a medium burn. This one, which is a contemporary romance, is more of a medium burn. And I'm working on another time travel fantasy, which is coming out in August. That's going to be more medium burn. So uh, writing sex scenes has not been a problem for me. For whatever reason, it's just uh, I, I don't stumble over them. I don't have a problem with them. Um, if anything, I get bored with them. And that's why I'm pulling back on the senior scenes more than anything else. Because after a while, there's only so many different ways <laughs> to describe the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Especially if you're not going to go dark and you're not going to go into non-con and dub-con. And I don't really do male-male. Um, 
you know, I, I like the sweetness factor. When it comes to my books, what I'm finding is that I really like a lighter hand. I don't like a ton of angst. There has to be dramatic components to it and to the story arc. But I think it's a lot like, you know, what I like to read and what I like to watch in the movies. I re- I've always been the person who reads to feel uplifted. Um, it's my happy place. It's where I get away from the world, uh, especially when I'm stressed out. So, yes, I like the HEAs. I want a happily ever after. I want at least a happy for now. And I don't want to be sunk into a world of, um, you know, despair or things that are depressing. So I think for me, that that's where I'm trying to find my sweet spot now is balancing the angst with the happiness. And I don't do horror. I don't read horror. There's a lot of great authors out there right now, even in reverse harem, that do more horror-oriented books. And that's just not me. I'm just a scared cat. That's what I am, too. I'd probably never sleep again. (laughs) No, I'm the person that has never seen Silence of the Lambs, who has never seen, you know, who saw, what was the one with Sharon Stone, Basic Instinct? I allowed someone to convince me to see that in a movie theater, and I sat there with my hands over my eyes for three quarters of the movie. That that, that would be me. (laughs) Yeah, that's just not my idea of fun. I want my books to be uplifting. I want them to be happy. And I read a lot of urban fantasy, and I think I'm beginning to tilt a little more that way, although sci-fi fascinates me, and um, contemporary romance, I think, is definitely going to be a strong part of my wheelhouse as well. In your mind, how do you bounce back and forth between kind of writing in the different genres and kind of real world, like real life? So for me, when it comes to writing sci-fi versus contemporary, I have to compartmentalize. Mm. There are a lot of people that can write multiple books at the same time, and they like to bounce around. For me, I find that very difficult to do. So I've had this time travel book kind of looming over my head for months now, and I should have started it several months ago. But I got deep into my contemporary romance, and the contemporary romance became a beast. It just kept growing and growing and growing. So for me, normally books fall anywhere usually between uh, 70K, 80K word, which is about 200 and something pages. And that's where I always thought that corsets and quartets would fall. Instead, corsets and quartets came in at in my first edit here, 134K. So it basically ended up being almost another entire book. So I had to keep going on that one before I could stop and switch gears to get my head into sci-fi again, Mm. which I'm still trying to wrap my head around. So that's a little bit more difficult for me. I'd love to be able to bounce back and forth from the more um, contemporary romance, everyday, real-life way of writing and kind of go back and forth between them. But my my brain just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm always very envious of people who can write on three different projects at once. For me, I need to get immersed 
completely into my story in order to catch flow and to keep flow going as I'm writing um, to progress the story forward. I have a question. Um, are you published wide or are you published only on Amazon right now? Right now, I am only on Amazon. I've recently been looking at, at some courses uh, that are coming up in some of the great marketing groups about wide versus KU. I think the thing is that Kindle and KU really is uh, great for indie authors because there's a lot of ways for people to discover your work without a lot of additional marketing. That being said, it's also a marketplace that's very glutted. So you do have to find ways to break through. I think it's harder to go wide when you're an unknown. Now, if you have a great back catalog, once you start building up several stories and getting your following, I think that's when it makes sense to go wide. And that doesn't mean that you can't leave some books on Amazon. You just can't be in Kindle Unlimited. Right. So, you know, we're, I'm trying to find that sweet spot as well, but I don't really have much of the back catalog. And I keep writing standalones. I tend to think you do better wide when you're in series um, because you can continue to push that traffic where people want the next book and the next book and the next book and they're following a specific world. Did you find it difficult to use KDP? What was that process like? I don't find that difficult um, for the most part. You know, there, there's a lot of upsides and downsides to Kindle. Certainly, um, stripping is big challenge when it comes to KDP. I think there is some lack of visibility in how your books are ranked. I think there's lack of visibility in how you're being paid. That being said, to go out there and to publish on Kindle really is very simple. You know, setting up um, an author dashboard, an author central, there's a lot of resources out there that you can read to really walk you through the process. Uploading the book itself is a pretty simple process. You know, we found a lot of people right now having some challenges and some glitches in uh, KDP because of the whole COVID situation. And I think that's because a lot of things have become automated and there aren't people out there that are handling it in the background because people are working remotely from home at but you know if you want to go out and test the waters with a book I certainly believe that KDP is an easy way to do it but you do have to learn how to manipulate the back end you have to figure out the correct keywords you have to figure out the correct categories there are a lot of resources out there to help you do that but some of them are not free so you have to decide and go out there with a little bit of a marketing plan and know how much money you're willing to invest in doing all of this first. Yeah, the keywords are what I always find very difficult, figuring out what magic formula will make you show up in searches. But it, it seems like it changes every day or I often. agree. Right, and I think that's true. I think a lot of that changes. I think a lot of that gets tweaked. 
we're also seeing a lot of books. I don't know whether they are consciously choosing keywords that put them into odd categories or if Amazon itself is assigning it to these odd categories. But that's a little weird also. And you also have to be very careful within reverse harem or some of the things that I write where the wrong keywords will push you into the erotica dungeon. And that is one place you do not want to end up on KDP. Because if your book ends up in the erotica dungeon, then um, it will not really show up in searches. People have to actively go and type in the name of that book to find it. Right. You will not get advertised. So those are some of the things that you really have to know the ins and outs of. So as a new writer, one of the first things I would always say is go out and find your tribe. Go out and find other authors. Create a network. You need people that you can talk to. You need people that you can ask questions. You need people who can give you honest feedback. You know, finding a tribe as a new author is really crucial. And I've found that they're all very supportive. It's amazing how supportive a fellow author could be. Absolutely. That's why I said that, you know, so many people that I've spoken to online have become um, more important friends to me right now just because I speak to them every day. You know, my alpha reader is someone that... I met in a little author group and she's just an amazing person. She's in Australia. So she's on the total opposite side of the world, but it is very, very rare that a day goes by that I don't spend time messaging with her one way or the other. Um, she's just a tremendous support to me and she's starting her author journey as well. And, um, you know, it's just, she also betas and alphas for other people. So, you know, you learn so many things from these other authors. The interesting thing is some of it you really can't predict. Some people take off very quickly and, you know, have a one-year authorversary and they've already written six books and they're ranking high and they're selling great. And, you know, some of us take a little longer to take off. The thing you have to be careful of I think as a new author is you really have to be careful not to make comparisons mm -hmm. because everybody's journey is going to be a little bit different and you don't know what went into that journey and what looks like somebody else having an easier success or a faster success. You know, it's like they always say, right? You, you have to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes to really know what's happening with someone. Everything looks great on the outside, but you don't know what they went through to get there. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things also, as people are writing, they look at the success of some people and they say, oh, well, this is easy. I should be able to do this. I can make this happen. And they get discouraged very quickly. You, you have to be committed to what you're doing because if it doesn't take off immediately, then you have to know that you're committed to seeing it through. Um, and nurturing it to get to where it is that you want to get to. In starting out, what kind of steps did you take to finding that audience? So we were woefully unprepared for our first book. <laughs> so our first book really took almost a year to gain any traction. 
and went out with a bad cover the first time. Mm-hmm. I won't say it was a bad cover. It just wasn't indicative of the genre. We, we didn't put a lot of money into it. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, now I would have tried to find some other... I was in an author group, but I was in an author group with all new authors who really were brand new and just learning along the way. Now we've established some Facebook groups. Um, actually, more recently, we have one that's called New and Aspiring Authors, where we've allowed, opened it up to anybody who wants to write and come in. And there are some of those of us who have been publishing at various levels of uh, success, and we go in there also and help provide answer questions and provide information i wish i had been able to find something like that before i went out of the gate i think i would have um gone out much more strongly there's a lot of things you know the what do you wish you knew then Mm -hmm. (laughs) before you had done it and there was a lot that we didn't know but that being said you know i didn't know that i needed a really really professional cover I thought the blurb was okay. I would have started my Facebook group a lot sooner. I would have gone out and started all of the social media and the marketing a lot sooner. But the reality is that, you know, I'm just going to say I'm an older generation here. Um, (laughs) And a lot of the people that are going out of the gate and recognizing the early social media needs are a lot of the younger authors. They know how to manipulate it. They've grown up living in that reality and they're just faster out of the gate with it. Great. What's it like writing with a co-author? Writing with a co-author is fun. Uh, It's really more motivating, I think, to a large extent when you know that there's somebody else relying on you and to keep pushing you forward. Now, that being said, you also have to make sure that your writing styles are compatible. And sometimes it can be hard. Um, You know, when you want to say something one way and they want to say it a different way, and you do have to find some compromise. You have to find that sweet spot. And I think it's important to also set up some rules in the beginning. Are you going to just trade off chapters? You're going to write this one. They're going to write this one, you know, and you do an outline. Are you going to have one person go in and write the book and the second person go in and polish the book? You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I think you, you have to have a sense of who it is that you're writing with. Um, Are your styles compatible? Which for us, we had no clue because neither of us had written anything before. So, you know, if it's somebody that has written something before, I think, you know, and you're a fan of their work and you know what type of stories they write, you probably have a little bit of a better chance of meshing your styles together. That being said, um, you know, people's writing habits can be very different different so i think that's something you kind of have to negotiate up front as well you know how often are you going to trade off chapters what are your expectations going in as far as the time frame in which 
everything is going to happen. I recently saw where two co-writers who've done quite a few books together have both posted that they um, are no longer going to be writing together. And the way each of them did their posts was very nice. They had two series that they were co-writing together, so apparently they split it. One was going to do the last book in one series, and one was going to do the last book in the other series. So, you know, it doesn't always work out, either short-term or long-term. So I think you have to have an exit plan, as well as, you know, knowing what you're trying to achieve when you go in. Do you have kind of goals set for yourself? And for you, what does success look like? That's a hard one. Do I have goals? I think my goals right now are fairly small. Mm -hmm. My goals are really to publish at least two books a year to push for three. I'm a slow writer. I'm not going to be one of those prolific writers that pushes out um, 10, 8, even 6 books a year. Probably four is a stretch for me. And again, I can't even I imagine you, doing that. <laughs> uh, there are people doing it. I mean, there I are, know they are and... writers that are pushing out 10, uh, 12, 18 books a year. I don't, I don't know how they do it. I don't either. Um, and it makes you think something's wrong with you because you can't do it. So that's where imposter syndrome is really hard. And you have, again, when I say you cannot compare... Harrison is a very, very slippery slope. And that will kill your mojo faster than anything else. For sure. So I have to stay very focused on what my journey is and in writing something that really resonates for me and is something that I want to, a story that I want to get out there and I want to learn, uh, write. So, you know, I'm going out with corsets and quartets this year. That was a beast. I'm doing Cadence and Time. That one, because of the short time frame that I left myself, will probably be more novella length. I'm shooting for 35K on that. I would like to start one more book by the end of the year. I have several in mind of where I want to go, or at least publish one more novella by the end of the year, because I have to be done Cadence and Time by uh, basically July 15th. So once I hit July 15th, I'm done with these two books, and then it's what am I going to do to fill the rest of the year. I would like to just get consistent page reads on my book, and I would like at least to have my books pay for themselves in terms of what I've paid for covers, etc. For this year, anything else beyond that is gravy. Um, but you know what, at the end of the day, I just want to know that people appreciate the stories, getting good reviews, making some money off of it. I I don't know that I really have, you know, I'm not going out of the gate and saying, I want to make X amount of money on my books this year, um, or push out X amount of books. Well, I did. I'd kind of like to do three books this year. Okay. So my goal is three books this year. Will I make three I don't know, but I'm definitely going to make two because I have no choice now. They're That's right. Pre-order. <laughs> and right, I would have... like those books to do well. There you go. All right, we have just a couple minutes left, and I have a fun question for my last question. Ooh. Since okay. the three of us are from New Jersey, 
I'm dying to know what is your favorite food? Oh man, favorite food. Well, this is hard. So I really, <laughs> I was born in Jersey. I grew up over the river. I consider myself more of a Philly girl. And that's actually where my newest book is. Um, it's placed in Philly. I love seafood. I am a coffee drinker. Um, I eat potato chips and french fries. If you are what you eat, I would probably be a potato. <laughs> please, um, please tell me you like pork roll. <laughs> I know. I'm a scrapple oh, girl. No, I grew no. up on the Philly side. So scrapple, you know, I grew up in Chester County. That's all too close to the Amish. For us, it was always scrapple, not pork roll. Mm. I like a good cheesesteak. I love a good Italian hoagie. Um, people don't understand hoagies outside of this region and even cheesesteaks. You know, it's always about the rolls. Yes. Mm-hmm. When, you sure. go, when I lived down in the D.C. area, you could not get a decent cheesesteak or hoagie to save your life. That being said, I'm just a foodie at heart, and foodie plays a big part in my new book. There are scenes where I'm, like, just writing about food. And my betas were like, holy crap. Are you, like, dating Gordon Ramsay? What are you doing? I'm like, listen, that's my downtime. I spend my downtime watching the Food Network. There you go. It's all about food for me. All right, so what are we eating? Um, What are you eating? I'm a diner person. I'm a big diner person. Um, I like breakfast for dinner. I love pork roll. Um, I'm, like, a salty, sweet type of person, so if I have something salty, I need something sweet. Yeah. and I usually eat pretty boring now, so <laughs> I've been really taking advantage of quarantine life, <laughs> eating uh, probably worse than I should be. Oh, I've gained 10 pounds during quarantine. It's really awful. I'm not used to being home and eating and cooking every day. It's awful. Same. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I've been eating healthier since I've been on quarantine, actually. That's just not right. That's not right. <laughs> uh, listen, you're lucky the word that I just wanted to say did not come out of my mouth. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm up at least five. I stopped checking. That being said, you know, I am somebody that will do a lot of green juices. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people, I eat the really bad stuff. And then chase it with the really good stuff and pretend like everything bad I'm eating doesn't count because I eat all of this good stuff with it. Yep. But here's the really important question. In the hierarchy, I need you to number these for me. Uh Uh-oh. Pancakes, waffles, French toast. Oh, wow. Which first, second, and third? Where's the hierarchy? Like, first being what's the best? Favorite Yes. Yeah, okay. what are you eating first, second, third? I, hmm, that's hard. I think, <laughs> I think for me it would be French toast first, mm-hmm. pancakes second, waffles third. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't like my answer. <laughs> no, for me it's it's got to be waffles, French toast, pancakes. I kind of go uh, uh, lightest to heaviest, I think. Jasmine, help uh, me out here. <laughs> um, I think we're all going to have different answers because I definitely say pancakes first because I definitely eat that most often. And then uh-huh. I would say waffles and then French toast. <laughs> well, so now here's the thing. So in quarantine, I have been making pancakes, but I've been making paleo pancakes. 
mm-hmm. with that are just made out of almond flour and mashed bananas. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah, but this is where I try and do the okay. I'm going to eat healthy. So let me make pancakes. Okay, let me make paleo pancakes <laughs> and pretend that I'm eating healthy. <laughs> All right, That's and okay. Jasmine. Mm-hmm. When you so it says Jasmine wonders. Yes. Is that from that thing that you do? What's that? Oh, like the movie. That, yes. No, 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 no. I don't actually yes, know so that. Then I saw that because that—that's the whole premise of that thing you do. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I actually have never seen that movie before. Oh my God, you have to see that movie. That's Tom Hanks okay. and Liv Tyler. It's hysterical. It's actually—I don't do a lot of. Um, I'm not big on humor. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of books out there that people think, well, there's a lot of movies out there that people think are really funny that to me are just not. I'm not into slapstick humor. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have to see that thing you do because they are about a band that calls themselves The Wonders. Okay. And they spell it the way you did. Okay. And, they're, and everybody keeps calling them The Oneaters. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody understands that it's meant to be the wonders they think oh they're being goodness. so clever mm. so that's one of those things like when you're writing you know i wrote these things and my betas were going through the chapters and i'm waiting for like the chuckles and there were certain things i'm like damn nobody even got that <laughs> or they didn't find that to be funny and i thought i was being hysterical so my humor is definitely a little more dry than mm. a lot of people i think See, you better hope nobody calls you that. I know, seriously, because I had no idea what you were talking about. I was like, what? So, yes. So, you go watch that movie. That is your assignment. Okay. Because otherwise, now I'm going to call you Jasmine (laughs) O'Neater. Okay. That's why I put the dash in there because I was like, maybe people wouldn't understand if I didn't have the dash. So let me put the dash so it's like one enders. Yes, I'm telling you, you watch that movie and you will look at that and be like, oh my God, really? (laughs) It might make me regret having selected that name. Well, you know, it's funny because when we look at stories, that's the other thing too. Um, Recently, I've been trying to figure out, you know, when I'm writing, is there stuff in there when you make cultural references that will hold up over time? So you have to be very careful. You know, I'm writing in this book, and I wanted to say that she called for a cab, but I felt stupid. I felt like I had to say she called for an Uber. Right. Then I was like, <laughs> but, you know, 10 years down the road, is anybody going to know what that means? Mm. Yeah, people may not. So, you know, those, so here I'm having all of this internal dialogue with myself last week, and I'm watching TV last night, and of all things, Flashdance came on. And I haven't seen Flashdance in a million years. Well, let me tell you, that movie definitely does not hold up over time. Right. And it really was, again, it, it kind of shocked me because it brought back, wow, like that's that's another example of how does 
how do you find these stories and these things and make them evergreen? And not it's, put, it's hard. You can't put it's a challenge. A, right. So it's about detail, right? So one of the things that I kept asking my betas as I was writing um, towards the back end of this book was, did they feel like there was enough detail in the story as far as rooms that people were in, things that people were wearing, um, just atmospheric detail. Because there's a lot to be said for leaving some things to the mind of the reader. And it's a tricky place. And, you know, the feedback I got from the betas was really kind of cool because the one person said, I felt like you put enough detail in at the right spots. And for the rest, I have a great imagination. I can fill in the blanks myself Mm -hmm. because I've seen things in different groups where readers will argue over, you know, men with facial hair, you know, does that take you out of the story if you indicate that somebody has facial hair or that you give them certain characteristics if it's a characteristic that that person doesn't particularly find to be sexy i completely understand what you're saying because that's happened to me before with a a very well-known published author yeah so you know it's an interesting thing when we talk about writing and we talk about the writing process and the and stuff I wish I knew back then, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it is learning that piece of the craft for yourself and asking yourself some of those questions as you go along. Did I create enough atmosphere that they can find themselves in the scene, in the room, in the place, in the space, but have I left enough vague that... I've allowed them to create the character in their head. It's like when you watch a movie of your favorite book, right? How many of you prefer books over movies? Every or how time. Many, or how many all the times time. have you had um, a book ruined for, for you when you, you've seen the movie? Because the actor or actress just absolutely did not embody the character right, it's not what you the way you envisioned them. Yep. Right. So that's kind of another interesting thing that I'm finding as I write. Those are kind of more of the questions that I start asking myself and things that I start trying to pay attention to. Even mood boards. I used to hate making mood boards for my books, um, but so many people asked for them because for me, it means that I have to go out and physically find pictures of people who embody those characters mm-hmm. and I'm afraid that I will take somebody out of the story that way by giving them an image that doesn't match what they expected. Now that being said, one of the other things that I do as an author for my book is that music plays a huge part for me just in daily life. Um, you know, I always have music on in the cars I'm driving. I always have music on as I'm writing. Lyrics are important to me. I get a lot of my inspiration from songs and lyrics. So I've gotten to the point also that for my books, I automatically create a Spotify playlist for my readers for every book that I write. 
and most of it is tied to music that I've been listening to while I've been writing, and there's never a song on there that doesn't lyrically tie to the story in some way. How do you choose like those that. songs? They're just, a lot of them are favorite songs, a lot of them are songs that just happen to come up as I'm driving or something, and the lyric will hit me, and I'm like, that's it. That was this scene, that was this character, it just makes sense to me in the moment. So, for, you know, every author that's big on creating Pinterest boards, or just doing general mood boards, that's not my thing, I'm not visual, for me, it's it's funny. For me, it's all about the music. Um, in my head, it's more um, about the audio, but yet I can't stand to listen to audiobooks. <laughs> I <laughs> with you on that. Background. It's so distracting to me. I, I just can't get into it. I find it very... Di- I don't know how people keep the thread of the story, but again, it's also the same thing for me, the voice of the character. Having one voice throughout this entire book no matter whether it's referring to the female main character the male main character voices again it's all about the audio audio experience that that voice doesn't match up to the story in my head it's going to take me out of the story Hmm. but there's a lot of people that clamor for audiobooks it's just not something that i ever see myself offering because I really don't have any great appreciation of them right. for myself as a reader. Right. I mean, I definitely agree with that. I like to listen to podcasts and things like that, and that's fine. But I've never actually sat and listened to an audiobook. I, I think I like to envision the story so trying. it's better for me to read. Yes. And I think there's something to be said for pacing um, and cadence. That's why uh, my whole... Next, the time travel book is called Cadence and Time. And that's one thing that I'm very aware of when I'm writing as well, or when I'm reading a specific author, is the cadence in which their story ebbs and flows, Mm -hmm. um, and how kind of lyrical their writing is in terms of flow. Right. Sometimes in an audio book, I think somebody reading it at a different pace or a different cadence than I'm expecting mm-hmm. ruins that for me. Right. No, I was just going to ask because I was curious. I, I think I heard in an interview you did somewhere where you spoke about kind of, I guess, choosing the right beta readers. How, how yeah. what is that selection process like for you? So for me, beta readers, um, I think you have to know what it is that you want to get out of your beta readers. What is the purpose of them in your process? So for me, I like to find, first, I like to keep it small. Um, This last group, I had basically six beta readers. So each one brings something a little bit different to the story. And one was my alpha reader. So she really didn't count as a beta. She was just the second set of eyes. Uh, The alpha reader for me is really much more important. That's the one that when you go into your book and you have these concepts and you're passing it off to someone, they're telling you, does this make sense? Do you have, um, where are the real holes in your storyline? 
is something not making sense from the standpoint of what a character would do um, based on what you've set up in previous chapters. For me, beta readers, I like to find at least one or two that have some background, um, either in teaching or English or something like that, if you can find them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great people out there who read, um, who have that type of background, and they love to spag. They love to catch spelling errors. (laughs) They can do all the punctuation and the grammar for you. So it's kind of a great pre-proofreading exercise. For me, mostly what I ask from my beta readers is, how is the story resonating with you? The questions that I went out and asked them were the things, like I said, did I have enough atmosphere? Does this character um, resonate with you? Are they a sympathetic character? Do you like them? especially if they are supposed to be likable. Mm-hmm, you know, right. if they are supposed to be a villain, do they come across as being a villain? You know, sometimes I've asked people, have I crossed a line here? In this book, I wrote a character who was supposed to be British. So online, I found different British phrases, etc. One of the questions I asked the beta readers is, I need you to tell me where I cross the line. Does this character have enough characteristics that make them seem British, but where I've not created a caricature mm-hmm. of them and made it to the point where now they just sound silly because I'm not British. I'm just trying to get a little bit of that flavor and a little bit of definition in the character. So they helped me find that balance. You know, one of them said at first, the reason I even asked the question was, Somebody said, oh, I forgot he was even British, you know, until you use that word. And I was like, okay, well, that's that's good. Now I need to know when I cross that line. Mm-hmm. Continuity is big also. When I was a beta reader, one of the things that I was good at was catching the continuity piece. You know, somebody told said that this person had known someone for X amount of years. They had met when they were 20 years old. And they had known them for 24 years, but then later in the book, they identified the person as being 42. And I said, well, hold on. (laughs) Wouldn't they be 44 based on this? You know, and they were like, oh, you're right. So those are kind of, you know, so it helps to have somebody that can grab that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people that are, you know, not, I write fairly clean. I edit as I write. Do you edit as you write? I do. I mean, I think I have to because a writer. Yeah, I have to because I self edit or Jasmine helps me proofread edit. So um, I I find that I can go back. I'll I'll write quickly a chapter and then I can go back and add that detail and then do the whole book as a whole when I'm finished writing. But I do do each chapter. Yeah. So that's, that's big for me too. So I, I think that's, like I said, partly why I'm so slow. You know, I hate being in a program and seeing a, the little red lines underneath words that are misspelled, etc. <laughs> that just tortures me. So I'll go through and I'll write something and then I almost go back and reread through it and keep rewriting as I'm moving forward. And then I go backwards. I kind of edit a little bit and then I move forward some more. So when my betas get my chapters, 
you know, they're catching a lot of the random words where God knows autocorrect as great as it can be. Sometimes, boy, it can be the devil as well. You know, and it starts changing words on you for mm-hmm. more common words, but not the words that were actually meant to be in there. Right. Um, or, you know, you drop a letter here or there, something's not jiving. Whereas I've beta read for people where their manuscripts are so rough, like that's why they write so fast. They go in and literally just word vomit on the page. <laughs> <laughs> and then they use their betas to go through and really spag the hell out of it. That would scare me. That would scare me. It's a lot. You know, you have, like I said, so you have to know what your betas are good at. Um, So I always have, you know, when I ask for beta readers, I have very specific questions on the sign-up form asking certain things and what they're good at and asking for examples of reviews that they've done for other people, books of theirs that are favorites, you got to kind of get into their head and figure out why they're there and what they can bring to the party. Makes sense. But that's an important part of the process. Now, there are some people that never use beta readers. I find betas to give me good feedback as far as the emotional content and knowing where I've hit the mark um, and how it will be received out there with other readers, especially if you get kind of a good cross-section of people who read different types of things. Great advice. Thank you so much for joining us. We learned so much and we wish you lots of success. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. And uh, go out there and eat some waffles. Okay. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's the best advice right there. (laughs) (laughs) I'll work on it for tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. Do your best. (laughs) If you made it this far, you survived another episode of Married to My Writing. Check out our next episode when we interview Melody Calder. Until next time.